They say the man sold his soul to the devil at the crossroads to become the greatest guitar player in the world. I'm so good at the guitar! The man at the crossroads was not the devil. This is Control Structure Episode 63, Certain Fundamentals, for June 18th, 2014. This episode is hosted by Andrew Bailey and Stephen Orvis. Visit thenexus.tv slash cs63 to see the show notes. And now, I've got your life down pat. you ever have a day where you wish that the rest of the day would just be uneventful? Um, sometimes. I take it you had a very, very, very busy day? Uh, yesterday, that is. So, it all started out in the morning. My car barely started, but somehow it did. So, I go to work and, like, do all the day job things. Come out at 5 o'clock, and my car just clicks at me. So, you know, I call up the uh, roadside assistance, you know, people, and I have to wait an hour for them to come up. And uh, so the guy uh, gets one of those uh, jumper box things uh-huh. and uh, hooks it up, and he's like, okay, go ahead and start it up. And I'm like, what did you do? Uh, was, it, was it just that it? I didn't realize that there was actually a battery in that thing. So... Uh, yeah, so I go over to, like, uh, you know, like a service shop, like, not too far away, and guess what Dummy does? You turn the car off? Yes. (laughs) And I realize this, I swear, like, really fast and really loud, and turn it right back on, and thankfully it did. Wow. (laughs) So my parents said, hey, we probably got that battery at Walmart. So, like, maybe look in the glove box, like, for the uh, warranty or something. So, I'm digging through the glove box, and, like, all I'm finding are, uh, like, receipts from Walmart for oil oil changes. Like, I don't know, like, a billion of these. Like, I'm not sure how, how they got squashed in there. So, right now, my passenger floor side is, like, nothing but, like, receipts and junk. So... Did you find the receipt? No, uh, but they're but they're like, go ahead and go there, and they probably might be able to do something. So I head home, and you know, I have to convince myself to get out of the car while it is still running. And I run in, run in here, get my debit card, and uh, go to Walmart. And uh, apparently they were like a little bit behind schedule and short staffed, and someone was leaving in a couple minutes. So I'm like, okay, what, what? who else is open right now? So I eventually end up at Pep Boys for like another hour or so. So I come home and I'm like, oh, I just, just want to go to bed. You know, just want to, you know, end this day. So, yeah. So you still have a problem and you, you haven't actually fixed it? Uh, it has a new battery, so that's fixed. Oh, okay. So that's at least good. the problem was, you know, I haven't had any car issues today, so... Um, oh, right. Yes, that was yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yes, I was going to say, sometimes the Walmart batteries I've seen have a pouch on the side of them that have the receipt in it. I don't know if all the batteries have that or not, but... So, anyways, um, 
but let's talk about something that was actually eventful in the good way. Uh, so it was pretty much a week ago, like right now, that I was talking about E3 to Ryan and a little bit to Matthew. Um, so yeah, we talked about the uh, press conferences, we talked about some other little things on the side, and uh, all in all, it was a pretty great show. So, um, the, uh, the fringe was, uh, sort of hilarious. Uh, the best bits are actually at the end of the show proper. Uh, so, uh, apparently Matthew has this one thing. Remember where I, when I talked about my peanuts at work? I don't remember that. But you're, you're aware that I keep a jar of peanuts usually at my desk. No, I wasn't aware of that. Okay, uh, newsflash, I keep a jar of peanuts at my desk. And you don't watch TV. Okay, I got. I, I have your life done, Pat, now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, it's not exactly that simple, you see, but, you know, there are certain fundamentals. <laughs> uh, so, Matthew, uh, thinking that this was the innuendo show or something, uh, when I mentioned that on a previous episode, he thought that I said... Uh, so, like, whenever you reach for your nuts, uh, like, speaking of, that's when the manager would show up. So, that was, like, at my first job, whenever I would reach for my peanuts and, you know, like, open it up and have some, that's when I would see my manager walk through the door. Oh, okay. so he's seeing you sitting there eating while you're supposed to it, be working. It was like a, uh, like a spell cast or something. I see. So, yeah, he, uh, asked, uh, so, yeah, did you touch your nuts at work? <laughs> or carrots? Because apparently, for some reason, uh, Ryan heard carrots when I said peanuts. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, there was a, a difference. A, there was a sort of good mix up there at the uh, last minute or so of the E3 special. Uh, so, uh, do you know how much your CEO is paid? I actually don't know. He owns the company, so he probably gets whatever profits or extra. So, so um, I really hope it's not too much because uh, apparently Forbes has done some research and has determined that the highest paid CEOs are also the worst for the company. So I was trying to understand the article. It seemed to be saying that by highest paid, it means the salary, but it was also talking about uh, the bonuses, the stock bonuses they would get based on the performance of the company. It seemed like they were saying that actually it's better for them not to get a salary and more so to get just bonuses based on the performance of the company. Was that cor a correct interpretation of the article? Uh, sort of. What I got out of it was total compensation altogether. Okay. So I, that's what I was trying to understand. It talked about the one, one CEO. I guess I should look and see what his name uh, was. I think it was Larry Ellison, CEO of Oracle. Yeah, it was the guy from Oracle. Yeah, it says he took... He takes a $1 salary, but then he, he made with his stock. Where did it say that? Took, yeah, there he goes. $77 million worth of stock-based compensation. So it's like he's not getting paid for his job, but he is getting paid based on the performance of how his, the company does, which that kind of would make sense to me if you're being paid in a position like that because you're supposed to be making the company money. So as I recall... Uh, I think Steve Jobs had a $1 salary for a long time as well. And uh, lots of other uh, tech companies also pay their uh, CEOs $1. So It's kind of an oddball paycheck. They get like this paper check that they put in a frame someplace. And <laughs> this is my, what is my pay for this year or whatever. Yeah. So, um, yeah, 
I'm pretty sure that my company is pretty good. So, you know, I mean, I'm pretty sure that my CEO, you know, sort of dreams that we get, you know, that our revenue is like high as some of these CEO salaries are. <laughs> so you you're probably in the same boat as me where your your CEO is also the owner and and has a good hand in the business. Um I'm not exactly sure how it's divided up, but uh I'm pretty sure that she has a pretty good stake in the company. That's what they say. Companies that that are ran by the original founder of the company that they know what's going on. The the company does well under them just because that they they built the company to what it is, so they they know what makes it tick and how to make money, and they care about it making money too. Yeah, and that's that's the other thing that this article pointed out. So you know, in that you know, companies will. Uh, you know, pay an enormous amount to attract some other guy to the company to put him in charge, and he really doesn't give a crap. So, yeah, there you go. And uh, instead of a Kickstarter, how about an Indiegogo uh, for this for this time? Uh, there's uh, one here that uh, it's uh, the idea is to make high resolution photographs of like all the 386 and 486 CPUs from Intel. So, like, all the various, uh, you know, various models, and probably not speed steppings, but at least the models. Like, you know, there's the 46, there's the 46DX, then there's the DX2, DX4, and all that. So he's, he's spoken there, like, some of the applications of it was, like, as art, the the having the beautiful picture of all the wires and stuff on this microchip. But also, too, he, he, he spoke about, like, a practical application of, using it to debug the hardware, which I found kind of odd. I mean, wouldn't there be diagrams or charts someplace of the hardware for the people that actually would care about debugging it, you would think? Yeah. Unless someone's trying to clone it and, like, steal it, basically, and and remanufacture the chip. Well, I'm not sure if uh, copyright would apply to CPUs. I don't think that they do, but at least all the patents have expired now. Because, like, patents are only good for, like, maybe 17, maybe 20 years. Okay, so the chips itself might be reproducible then? Okay. So, yeah, this is uh, pretty interesting here. It's really strange that it's only raised $50 right now. I was When I saw that, I was like, is that your $50? <laughs> no, I haven't uh, chipped in yet. I see. It was, it's an interesting project. It sounds like a guy that knows what he's doing because he referenced a few other projects too that he's, he's working on right now. I don't know if they're... Kickstarter-like projects or what they are, but he, he gave the impression of having been down this road before of crowdsourcing anyways. Raspberry? Raspberry. Raspberry? Raspberry. 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 So, a Raspberry Pi pioneer has been knighted. That's uh, pretty cool. So, this guy named David Braben 
Uh, he's apparently one of the, uh, I'm not sure if he's, he's apparently a trustee and sort of like a founder of the Raspberry Pi Foundation. And he's, uh, apparently also involved a little bit in video games. He, uh, programmed some of the original Elite games and is involved in the currently being developed Elite Dangerous. So, yeah, that's pretty cool. It's not every day that uh, you get knighted. I was trying to read the article again. I thought when I read it that it spoke less of the pie and more about the fact that he had been instrumental in the video game industry. Uh, yeah, this is, uh, you know, what, pretty interesting. So what what's it talks about is his, uh, he was made an OBE for his work to create the Hawkeye, the ball tracking system used at major sporting events. I was... No, that's talking about someone else. Yeah. The, yeah, the Dr. Hawkins. Okay. So, OBE, I think, is uh, Order of the British Empire. Okay. So, I think that you can only get that if you're a British c- citizen. Nice. Um, I'm pretty sure that, like, uh, I think it might have been Bill Gates has been knighted in some form. Uh, but it's not an OBE, it's something else. Okay. So, what's the deal with the, the Queen's birthday being mixed in with this is that like apparently she made a birthday list of what to do and uh-huh. this was on it okay i see and now for this week's lol apple <laughs> uh this guy is you know watching the latest uh apple keynote at like wherever wwdc and he's you know afterwards he sort of like examines like all this apple stuff going on this apple cult and he wonders, what is it good for? So he's like, pretty much is talking about being disenfranchised from this whole thing. Um, okay, well, apparently he didn't actually watch the whole thing. He watched a few minutes of it. I watched enough to realize with some bemusement that I didn't actually want to watch the next. Bemusement because objectively, there's a smorgasbord of very cool things. A year ago, I would have been enthralled and delighted. I mean, after the last keynote, I wrote wrote five pages about the gradient behind the Safari icon. Really. This year, there's a whole new language, significant overhaul, blah blah blah. For some reason, while I can recognize the new shiny when I see it, it left me cold. I've been trying to work out why ever since. And he says, you know, this is not a piece about the doom of Apple, and, uh, you know... He sort of, you know, says, if you're a knee-jerk Apple fan, you know, calm down, this is not a way to attack you or anything. So, so what I thought was kind of funny was his, uh, where he said, how, how did it come to this time was I love po- <laughs> poetry, literature, art, music, cheap wine, and the smell of an old book. Now my spare moments are spent rubbing glass. <laughs> so he, uh, here are some of the things that I've grown an unexpected dislike for. Uh, Steve Jobs was just a man. It's just marketing and money, and rumor is pointless. You know, there Apple is pretty much the only company that, you know, people, you know, obsess rumors over. So, yeah, Apple will do whatever the, whatever the crap they want to do, and whenever they do it. So, yeah, it's, it's nice to, you know, breathe some sort of fresh air into all this hype machine. So... Yeah, I, I think the Apple is, I mean, they're they're considered sometimes I, I think for some people it's more of a status symbol it was like, oh you have one of those expensive computers or one of those expensive devices I, I get that sense very strongly that often that's what it amounts to being for people yep 
So, uh, do you remember the uh, video from last week that uh, pretty much ripped on the FCC and uh, net neutrality? Um, I don't think so. I remember talking about third-tier ISPs or something at some point in time, but I don't think that was last... It wasn't, definitely wasn't last week. But well, last, last episode. Last time. Yes. Yeah, last episode. I, I'm, anyways, you point with the article. <laughs> so, uh, the uh, FCC chairman, uh, Tom Wheeler, insists that he is not a dingo. And I had to Google what a dingo was. It's it's a dog found in Australia. Yeah, it's uh, essentially an Australian wolf. Yes. So, so I was trying to understand. It spoke in the article something about, like, misspellings on the FCC's website or something. Is that how <coughs> it came about? Did someone misspell something? So uh, the video from last week pretty much ripped on everything. Um uh, so, uh, John Oliver was the dude that, you know, uh, apparently is a TV host from somewhere. Um, he compared, uh, the chairman to, uh, a dingo. And, uh, apparently dingoes are known for eating babies or something. Oh, so, okay. So, is, you know, putting, uh, like a telecom, or uh, cable lobbyist as the head of the, uh, you know, body that's supposed to regulate, you know, this industry is kind of a bad idea. I see. So, and, uh, yeah, and of course, uh, the FCC website, of course, crashed the uh, day after this video uh, was circulated. So, yeah, keep on doing whatever it is you think you're doing. So, um... This was actually a... We mentioned this uh, quite a while ago, maybe not last time, but the time before, about the orange box from Canonical. So, apparently, they're uh, going around and demoing the box to various companies for, like, $10,000 or so, um, and then they get to keep it for two weeks or so. Um, so, uh, upon hearing this, uh, one of the people at Ars Technica... Uh, got a hands-on uh, sort of like mini demo of this. So, you know, this box is, you know, essentially, you know, orange. Who knew? Uh, it has uh, 10 Intel NUC-type boards in it, uh, along with the switch, power supply, and a few other things. So what it is is it's essentially a small sort of cloud system. So, and it's basically meant as a demonstration of, you know, Canonical's, uh, you know, sort of like cloud infrastructure system. So, so, so I think that's a lot of what we missed last time we talked about this was we talked about the hardware and, and being in a bo one box. But I, I got the impression from this article that the point of it really is there, uh, I'm not sure if it's Juju, the, the, this is, it's a charm and it's like this graphical interface for deploying the software onto the server and for managing the, the number of pr servers dedicated to it. That that seemed to be really the big deal with this. From what I'm I'm reading is the software that allows that you to push it, and this is you can push it out to like the Amazon cloud services or to whatever API supports this uh, deployment method. Yeah, and uh, Canonical is the uh, company that's behind Ubuntu. Um, so yeah. And apparently they also run their own cloud system, cloud infrastructure thing. So this is, you know, sort of like more of a hands-on trainer tool. Yeah. So, and uh, it's interesting in that they mentioned that servers should be more like cattle and not like pets. Yeah, that that, that was a, a good point because they were saying that lots of times they have 
a very dedicated server to do some special task, whereas they're saying the servers should be more flexible and you can do load balancing. If one area needs more servers, you can throw servers at it. And if it doesn't need as many servers, you can just subtract the number of servers on that task. Well, not necessarily that, but when one blows up, you know, it's not a tragedy. Yeah, I mean, that's part of it, too, because it's not specific. Any server can fulfill the role, but I think a lot of his point that was the load balancing deal of you can, you just have a group of servers and you can kind of assign them to whatever task you need those servers to be doing at that point in time. So, yeah, this is uh, a very interesting piece of hardware. So, um, let's go on and talk about uh, Mozilla for a while. So it was three years ago that uh, Mozilla started the uh, Mem Shrink project. It was mostly aimed at uh, Firefox and getting the memory consumption down on Firefox, um, which is, even now remains the only browser that does not have uh, per-process tabs, uh, like pretty much all the other browsers do. So when you open up another tab, uh, like in Chrome or even Internet Explorer, uh, like another process is spawned uh, underneath to handle yes. that. So uh, for Mozilla, that you know, for Firefox specifically, that you know, kind of gets into a little bit of a problem. Uh, so uh, they've been doing pretty well. Uh, one year ago, they uh, made a you know a five point list of the things that they really wanted to focus on. And uh, you know, now that another year has passed, uh, this post uh, you know goes back and looks at that, and also makes a new list. So the old one was PDF.js, uh, DevTools, B2G Nuwa. I'm not exactly sure what that is, but apparently it has something to do with the Firefox OS for uh, smartphones. Hmm. Uh, uh, generational garbage collection and uh, tab image handling. Uh, which I believe we actually talked about not too long ago. Uh, so this time they want to do better regression uh, detection. Uh, so like performance and uh, you know memory improvements or when they don't improve, uh, some better developer tools, uh, and then some more on the garbage compaction. Uh, Taraco, uh, which is apparently the actual Firefox OS phone. Uh, uh, apparently, this is only going to have 128 megabytes of RAM in it. So, uh, you know, having a very compact, memory-efficient system kind of helps with that. That's that's driving this, then. That's interesting. And uh, apparently, there's out-of-memory crashes occur- occurring on Windows a lot. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'd say that, you know, even as a general user, memory consumption has gone down quite a bit over the past two years. So, uh, hey, uh, we mentioned uh, PDF.js in there. Um, so one of those points is to make that smaller. And uh, there's even another post that even details uh, PDF.js. And there seems to be a problem with it in that it allocates too many HTML canvas elements. And apparently it's not also releasing them properly. So there's been a big uh, improvement in that. And it's expected to come in Firefox 33. So, have you ever, you know, opened up a PDF in Firefox? See, I actually typically use just Fox and have it open up that instead. And I do remember years and years on back, probably was Firefox. Every time you'd open up a PDF in it, it would crash the browser. That would be a long time ago, which is probably why I open up things in Foxit because yeah, that's the, how I've done yeah. it. 
yeah, Adobe, uh, like the Adobe Reader plugin was oh, pretty was obnoxious. Terrible. The Adobe Reader plugin wasn't usable just at all. Any anything Adobe Reader and Adobe oh. Acrobat just oh, yeah. kind of sucks. Uh, stand by for garbage truck. <laughs> I heard it. And rounding the corner. You have him like times. It's like this time, nine twenty one. He comes by. <laughs> So you can, I can sort of tell when the driver is pretty good in that, you know, he just keeps on going. If the driver is kind of bad, uh, he has to back up for a few seconds. So I like uh-huh. sort of like every time I hear it, I just kind of stop and listen for the beep, beep, <laughs> beep, beep. I see. And have you ever noticed that, you know, on backup beepers, the last beep is always cut off? Um, not specifically, but I can imagine that would happen a percentage of the time. Yeah, it's it's pretty sweet when that, when that happens. So, uh, moving on from uh, looking at PDFs in your browser to uh, listening MP3s in your browser. So, personally, I'm kind of tired of clicking links to MP3s to download them and having them open and play in Firefox. Uh, now, for PDFs, I'm okay with it opening in the browser, because I'm only looking at it for like a minute or so, uh, generally. Uh, whereas an MP3 kind of sticks around for, you know, maybe an hour or so if it's a podcast. So, uh, to fix this, you go into the about config and set media.directshow.enabled to false. And suddenly, like every, you know, media link will actually, you know, open up a regular download dialog, uh, instead. This really helped me when I was uh, stealing all that classical music from that website. <laughs> that would. So, uh, hey, let's talk about some more browsers, uh, like Internet Explorer. Uh, it apparently has a development channel now. Uh, this is uh, a pretty new development. It's uh, similar to the Nightly or Aurora Firefox build or Chrome's Canary build. So this is, you know, essentially like the preview edition of the next Internet Explorer. See, see, see the, I, I didn't quite get that, how it's like a nightly build, because I went there and it's like, it looks like the service pack one, it looked like a static link to me and not like a nightly build. Maybe I, I was misunderstanding it, but it just, it looked like just a static package. Um... So, if you recall, for previous Internet Explorers, like, they would release, like, a, like a beta one, and then a couple of months later, another beta. Um, so, their aim is to, like, have a more of a continuous thing for their, uh, like, their betas. Okay. So, that's what this is. And it uh, even has, uh, you know, some preliminary support for, uh, I think it was, like, the GamePad uh, API, uh, the WebDriver API. It has uh, better uh, developer tools, and apparently also has some WebGL improvements. So, yeah, it's uh, nice that, um, you know, at least the Internet uh, and web tool team at uh, Microsoft is getting their stuff together. Well, <laughs> I don't know. I, it's still IE. So, hey, let's talk about some more stuff about Internet Explorer. Uh, apparently, 3% of users browse with IE9 and 14% of users have a disability. So why do we only cater to the people who use Internet Explorer for, as opposed to people who actually have some sort of an impairment to actually use uh, you know, your content? Probably the reason is because you can get statistics very easily on what browsers that your website, but most people don't, don't 
announce that they're disabled when they hit your website. Yes, that's a very good reason. Um, there's, uh, another reason in that, you know, say a manager comes up to you and asks, you know, how long would it take to make the site meet accessibility guidelines, um, like an internal web app or something. So, uh, the, the uh, programmer goes, well, I've never done a full site like this before. Let me take a look at it. And then a month or so later, or some time later, uh, comes back and says, wow, it'll probably take about a month. And the manager says, well, let's put that on the nice-to-have pile. So, you know, it's, it's not a very obvious thing. Mm-hmm. For instance, if, you know, like if something doesn't work in a certain browser, like it's very obvious that it doesn't. Like, you know, like an you image. Test that. Yeah, like an image is like not placed properly or something. Uh, whereas like accessibility is more like a functional thing. Um, like for instance, like, have you ever come across, like, these are everywhere, like a checkbox or a radio button where you have to actually click on the button, uh, where the text, yes. If, oh, I hate those. Yeah. The idea is to use label elements, uh, on your, you know, text for your controls so you can uh, click the text uh. and it'll check the checkbox or push the radio button. Yes. So, um, like... I'm kind of a stickler about that in that. Yeah, that annoys me when someone does that on a web page. I'm like, really? Yeah, like I try to look around for like a comment box or something or a feedback okay. form. Let them know what they did wrong. So, and especially that helps uh, like on tablets and like touchscreen devices in that, you know, it, it creates a bigger surface area in which to activate a control. Mm, that's true. So, and, uh, like, accessibility software can easily, uh, you know, like, for disabled people can, you know, easily, you know, figure out, oh, this text goes with this, and it doesn't oh, have that's to, true. and it doesn't have to guess about it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, another thing is that, you know, this is the reason why you do not put text in images. So, uh, like, there are certain ways around that, but you can't just, you know, put text in an image and put that as your homepage, and, like, that's it. Because so, the screen reader won't pick that up, yeah. So, yeah. Um, it's actually pretty easy to, like, incorporate these practices into your existing code, so it's not that hard. So there's really, I feel like there's not really a defined list of, of a, a commonly known defined list of what check what things you should do to make your, your website more friendly and why. Like, I, I've heard the thing about, like, you know, you should always make an alternate text for an image. Like, if you put an image up, put an alternate text of the, describing what the image is, which I assume probably would, to some extent, cover screen readers for people who can't see. So they can hear what the image was supposed to be. Yeah. But, I mean, th- there's really a very small amount of information that I've seen commonly posted about that kind of stuff. Um, there are, you know, there are compiled lists. So, and, you know, honestly, it's not that hard. So, then again, it kind of depends on what you do. If you, you know, build a blog, it's pretty easy. So, there yeah. you go. You just have text and a few links. So, uh, Microsoft is investigating field programmable gate arrays, or FPGAs, uh, to speed up Bing. So... You know how, like, a CPU is, like, a very fixed kind of hardware? Yes. Uh, FPGAs are more like a programmable form of hardware. Uh, so, like, that, they're especially used in, like, processor design. 
Mm-hmm. So like they're like very configurable. So uh, you know Microsoft is getting the idea to like actually you know buy a whole bunch of these and you know program them uh, to speed up Bing a little bit. So basically, they're they're taking a hardware function that you might call typically with your processor in three or four steps and making a a shortcut in the hard, hardware for that that functionality. That way, they can call it directly and yeah. save time. So, like, you know the idea of an application-specific integrated circuit? Say that again, you cut out. Application-specific integrated circuit? Yes. So, you know, these are sort of like GPUs or like uh, sound processors, like you know, like sound cards mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So, like an FPGA, uh, you know, actually brings you a lot closer to a specific uh, circuit for whatever you're doing. So uh, I think this article said that there's a possibility of speeding it up by like 20 or 40, per, uh, 20 or 40 times uh, in certain in uh, certain operations. That's, it's an interesting concept of programming your hard, hardware to match your your software needs specifically. It's it's a very specialized application more so, but it is an interesting one that probably is going to come out like as time goes on and be more common. So, yeah, it's uh, definitely a way to speed up something that's very specific and, uh, yes. like, sort of known. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what it has to be. You're doing the same thing probably a bunch of times. So, uh, speaking about Microsoft, they are fighting a U.S. search warrant for emails that are stored in Ireland. Microsoft made me happy today. So, this is actually from, like, a, about a week ago. But, but uh, I learned about it today. But yes. <laughs> yes. Um, so, you know, this is, like, a very dangerous uh, precedent if this goes through, in that, you know, an American company can be forced to divulge, you know, something that they own, but it's in another country. So, the big deal with that was, I was reading, technically, they would have to go through courts in Ireland to get access to this data, but, like, this they want they're saying that it's the company and not the, the location of the data, or what the government is saying. So the government just wants them to hand over a copy of their entire data set of so, what's there. So, yeah, uh, I guess go Microsoft on this. Yeah, I, I think it's it's good that someone's pushing back at the government because there, there's just a lot of this stuff like this going on. Now, I understand like they're going to have to like, ring a drug people and stuff. And my answer to that is go get the permits in Ireland. Go to the court in Ireland and go get your permits. It, it sounds like there's a way to do it. This is just that the government doesn't want to do it the right way. I think they need to do it the right way. Yeah, definitely. And uh, this can also be very bad for Microsoft and even other American companies. You know, in that you know, you know, foreign companies. Why would they do business with American companies if they know that this can happen? Mm-hmm. And it opens up a whole can of worms for or abuse by the government to get data for overseas. Because suddenly, like, if you can get data overseas, in one sense, too, it's like, or is it even under the... Jurisdiction? Yeah, like, like the Constitution, and suddenly if it's not technically for a U.S. citizen and it's overseas, and but then the American company has to give them the data, it just seems like it could open up an interesting other legal s- set of things of the government snooping on on data that's overseas just because it's not really U.S. citizen-owned data. Yep. 
So, uh, speaking about pri- privacy issues, uh, Google has a report on how much of the email transmitted in and out of Gmail has been encrypted. So, uh, like, it actually splits down inbound and outbound messages. So, apparently, uh, there 70% of all outbound messages going from Gmail are encrypted, and uh, inbound 52%. See, I found that odd that this that these statistics were so far apart, unless it's some deal with, by default, some of these applications go to off, and it's just that they also support secure encrypted messages, and they turn it on when they get one. Yeah, like, I guess I guess this could be, like, uh, email servers that uh, encrypt by default, and in- email servers that support encryption. Yes. So, like, they send it, you know, in the clear, but they're okay with receiving it encrypted. So, uh, and they also give statistics over the past 30 days, 90 days, and a year. So they can see, like, how much, you know, things have improved. The, the interesting thing is your inbound has, although, like, although, although data only goes back to, like, December 14th. So go on. All right. I was going to say, for the inbound data, I guess the outbound kind of has it, but not as pronounced. The inbound data has these really sharp spikes in it, then it goes back down. And I I can't really think of a reason that would cause spikes like that. Uh, weekend? Weekends. Ah, that could be. So maybe people use more of their personal email, maybe on the weekend, that's not encrypted. So, or either that businesses. So, well, yeah, that, that's encrypted. So probably people using Yahoo or Gmail that is encrypted versus during the week when they're using maybe some Microsoft solution or third-party solution for a business, maybe. So, June 6th and then June 7th, it goes up by, like, oh, seven percentage points. So, mm-hmm. the 7th seven. is a Saturday. The 6th would be a Friday. So, so it is on the weekend. So, yep. it must be people using private email services like Yahoo and Google. Well, and well private email in the form of, a, like, Exchange or something. Yeah. So, yeah. Interesting. Hey, speaking about encryption, so let's talk about TrueCrypt for a moment. Uh, have you ever used it? I don't think you have. I don't think so. I recognize it, but I don't. No, I don't use it. So TrueCrypt has been going through a very weird situation of late. It's been pretty much uh, going crazy uh, since their homepage, uh, like for the past like three or four weeks now. Uh, says that uh, TrueCrypt may contain un- unsecured holes, and it recommends that you use Windows BitLocker instead. Uh, no one's really heard from anyone behind the project since this, and the whole thing smells really suspicious. So, for those of you who don't know, uh, Bit, uh, see, not BitLocker, uh, BitLocker as well, but TrueCrypt is an open source uh, piece of software that encrypts your entire hard drive. Um, so I remember in the uh, job before this one, uh, like they got bought out and merged with another larger insurance company, and apparently one of their policies was uh, TrueCrypt on every machine. So like uh, they wanted to make sure like all their drives were encrypted. Yeah. Um, so like what you do is you know when you boot your system, it you know asks you, hey, I need a password in order to boot the rest of your system. Like before Windows loads. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, apparently this is cross-platform, so it works also for Linux. I'm not sure if it works for Mac. I wouldn't be surprised, though. Um, it does work for Mac. I, I just saw another platforms page. 
So, uh, yeah, this is a seems to be a very useful piece of software, but it has apparently just been abandoned. Uh, it's also been going through like some sort of an audit, but uh, like it hasn't really come up with anything that bad. So, so has anyone been in contact with the owner of the project? Like, because it it looks like it's it's very a vague error message, and it's like the person who's giving it doesn't know what they're talking about, whether that they don't want to say what it is. Yeah, it's just like what's the message at the top? It says, "Warning: Using True Crypt is not secure, as it may contain unfixed security issues." Then at so, the bottom, it's, it says, "Warning: Using True Crypt is not secure." So it's like they definitely don't want you using it, but they don't really tell you why. Yeah. Um. So that was like the first uh, alarm that went out that, you know, maybe this was hacked, mm-hmm. you know, like maybe the website was hacked or something. Um, and then another one was like, you know, they just don't want to support the software anymore. Um, apparently the last version was released uh, about 10, maybe five years ago. Okay. Um, so, yeah. And, you know, they suggest using BitLocker. And that's not an acceptable replacement since not only is it Windows only, it's only available on the very high-end editions of Windows, like Enterprise and Ultimate. Uh, but apparently it's available on Pro on Windows 8. But, uh, you know, that's sort of like a minority at this point. So, yeah, uh, this is a very odd situation. Um, so personally, I don't use TrueCrypt, uh, but on uh, my external backups... Uh, external hard drives. I use, I believe it's DMcrypt and like whatever Linux uses for drive encryption. So, yeah. So, uh, some guys have been working on an app to correct the orientation of video. Uh, so they strapped an iPhone to a car wheel and drove around in a parking lot a little bit. And it turns out that iPhone cameras really suck because of the rolling shutter effect. It's, it said they did it like 50 miles an hour there, didn't they? Uh, 30 miles an hour, It was I think. 30. Whatever it was, I mean, if you think about how many rotations it is per second, it's still pretty fast. Yeah, and uh, you know, overall it looks like uh, you know, it pretty much does what they want it to, but uh, due to the rolling shutter effect, it sort of makes things look really weird. I, I feel like they probably didn't envision their end users duct taping their cell phone to a tire. <laughs> <laughs> so it it looks really weird in that it looks like the ground itself is warping. It's like really bends. Mm-hmm. Um, so like an explanation of this is that, you know, you know, video is generally shot at like 24 or 30 frames per second. So like on your image sensor, it pretty much, you know, scans, you know, down uh, you know, like at the frame rate, so like 24 or 30 frames, it goes like scans down the chip, you know, that fast. Um, it doesn't uh, take an image like at a single point in time. So if anything changes, like the subsequent lines that it hasn't scanned yet will get put into the same frame. So like what you're seeing here is not a single point in time for every frame. So it, it's really annoying. So, yeah, this is one of the reasons, you know, you know, granted, you know, iPhone cameras are, you know, pretty good, but not for video, it turns out. So what do you think about this? Sorry, I was I was still figuring out the true thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to Google to see why it's it's broken to see if anyone's got any theories out there. 
because I never Googled that. Anyways, yeah, the, 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 I was actually really impressed by the, the iPhone thing that they had that because I hadn't seen that, heard of that before that they had that app to do that. So I was like, whoa, they strapped it on that tire and it kind of worked. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyways, uh, Unicode. Yeah, have you ever heard of that? Unicode, yes. So it's like the universal character set that pretty much everyone should be using. Uh, version 7 has been released, or at least it's been announced, and it contains 2,834 new characters. Uh, you know, most of these are apparently Chinese, but apparently everyone's getting all excited because it contains approximately 250 more emoji. So, like, little icons, you know, like, you know, people's faces, uh, and, like, general icons. Okay. There's something useful in it that I remember seeing. Uh, what was it? Um, oh, it has a chipmunk in it. That wasn't what I was looking at. Some other language was supported. Uh, like historical languages. Hmm. So the 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 old characters have enhanced. Oh. Uh, there are nearly three thousand new can- Cantonese punctuation entries. Um, it, it says there's additional support for languages of North American, Chinese, Indian, and other Asian countries in Africa. So, so it is. It's not just like a frivolous, friv- frivolous. We added a lightning bolt and cloud and and a pepper and and things like that. They actually added useful things too. So Looks that's like great. A, yeah. So uh, uh, let's see. I have a solid state drive in my uh, desktop. Uh, I don't think that you've made the jump yet, have you? I actually do have a solid state drive for my Ubuntu boot. I dual boot, and so if I go into Ubuntu, I get the fast, fast nice. speeds. So, uh, Tech Report has been doing a fantastic experiment to find out how much data you can write to various uh, solid-state drives uh, before they totally fail on you. So, uh, if you're like actually read up on solid-state drives, you can only write to them, uh, completely write over them about you know one to ten thousand times before they start. Uh, to lose their data, or rather, it becomes like less and less possible to write data to them. So uh, they've uh, gone up to a one petabyte on like a lot of these drives. So that's like a thousand terabytes. And they, you know, selected. I think these are all two hundred fifty-six uh, gig or so drives. And uh, they started out with, I think it was six. And they're out of petabytes, and they're down to half of what they started with. Um, so I think one of them gave out around, like, was it 600 or 700? Two of them went out about 700 or so uh, terabytes written. And another one lasted almost to 950. The, the, the impressive thing was most of the ones that gave out, they were saying that they actually gave the smart warnings were saying that, hey, the drive is, is going bad. You need to fix me. And the one I remember I looked at had gone for like 30 or 20 terabytes longer before it actually physically died then. Yeah. So it, so it actually was a, a decent warning. I'm not saying you always get that warning, but it was something anyways. Yeah. Another point of contention is that uh, these are apparently consumer-grade SSDs uh, in that, you know, once you've written everything to them and they become read-only, once you power cycle the system, they're totally locked out. Like, you can't, you know, they just disappear from the system. Uh, I, I saw it and mentioned the one that it showed up as zero, 
zero anything which is a space which really sucks i mean in what world is that an acceptable failure mode mhm yeah it should at least if it's going to walk it from writing it, it it could just let you read it and and get your data off of it so um so I that should've... that really sucks I actually had a flash drive die on me once that it, it locked in writing, like it wouldn't write, but you can read all of your data off of it, which, I mean, obviously I didn't want it to go, but that was, if it's going to go, that's not a bad way for it to go. My data is permanently embedded onto that flash drive. So can you still read off of that? I haven't tried reading off of it in many years, but last time I tried, you could read data off of it, but you couldn't write. Okay. So, yeah, that's a very different kind of failure mode. That's the acceptable. Yes, exactly. That's what I'm saying. That this, that was, it would be a good way for it to fail. That's yeah. what I was saying. So, um, yeah. So, yeah. Shout out to International Backup Awareness Day. Um, so, yeah. Uh, have fun with that. So, looking forward to, you know, how much more can these take? So, um, right now, how I have my setup. Is that I have like uh, less, uh, how should I say, less uh, changing data on my SSD. So like my system and like some applications and like my games are on there. But like all my user data, like, you know, all my music, all of my uh, saved games even. And like all the browser cache is on a hard drive, which can, you know, apparently take a lot of writes. Yeah. This something looks like you're... I was going a different direction. I was going with the backups. So uh, maybe someday we won't even talk about solid state drives because something new would have, uh, you know, eclipsed them. Uh, for instance, uh, Hewlett Packard is talking about the machine. It's just called the machine for some reason. It's supposed to be one of those miracle technologies, and it supposedly puts an entire data center worth of machines and puts them on a single server rack. It sounds very suspicious. It sounds like maybe this is like marketers gone wild. But what it actually is, is Memristor-based computing. So uh, I believe it was like maybe six years ago, I believe I was still in Newmont at the time, that uh, Hewlett-Packard finally discovered the Memristor, or at least built one. And uh, just as a side note, there are storms coming through. So if I suddenly cut out... I I was hearing thunder in my background too. So, if uh, the podcast suddenly ends, you know why. So, uh, memristors are the fourth type of transistor, and it's apparently been frolicking with the unicorns up until a few years ago. Uh, The other three types being the resistor, the capacitor, and the inductor. So, what memristors do is they take the best parts of RAM and the best parts of flash memory and they create a super-fast memory storage system that won't lose data when the power is off. So with this, you know, you won't need a hard drive or a solid-state drive or any kind of drive anymore, uh, because in the future, this concept of loading a program and saving a file will be obsolete, because it will just be in this huge, you know, pile of memory. And it will be as fast as RAM, if not more, because you'll have this in the future, um, so yeah, this is a very, uh, uh, very interesting and important development. So the, the interesting thing is HP has made this a sink or swim project for them from what I'm reading. It says that they're going to dedicate 75% of their, their personnel to this project. So it's, they're, they're hooking their future on this, uh, men, sister, however you say it, thing and saying, we think this is the future and they're 
basically betting the company on it. So, and uh, this this is a very, you know, important thing. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, you know, from the sounds of it, it's a very promising thing. It's It has the potential to change almost everything about how we use computers. And this is, like, from an actual fundamental technological, like, down-to-the-metal standpoint. This is not, like, some, you know, marketer or salesman saying this. This is, like, actual engineering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you turn your computer off now and then turn it back on, and it's back. There's no loading from the, the hard yeah, disk this, into your it'll RAM. It'll be ex- exactly it the way back. you left it. Yes, yeah, it's, it's mid-thought. It's like thinking something as, oh, wouldn't it be nice if then it gets shut off and it comes back on and it just finishes the thought. Yeah, so um, with uh, you know such, how should I say, such fast memory being there, uh, HP is also investing in like photonics, I think it's called. But, you know, it's, you know, uh, instead of, you know, having copper wire connecting all of your processors or even within uh, your processor, um, you know, instead of pulses of electricity, it'll be pulses of light. I saw this. Are they going to use this to tie in the memory with the rest of the system in hopes of getting incredibly fast data transfer? Yeah. Uh, And silicon photonics. Uh, transfer of data inside of a computer using light instead of copper wires. So, you know, this is, I guess this would shift the pioneering, or at least the last real breakthrough of, uh, you know, computing from IBM, which has, you know, built, you know, a lot of the fundamentals of computing up until this point, and change it over to HP. So, like, you know, not only are they building the hardware, they're also, you know, investing, uh, you know, looking at, you know, networking protocols and uh, also operating systems for this thing. They so, the own operating system itself, machine OS. So, uh, apparently, they're building their own, and there's another project that's taking Linux and modifying it to run on a system like this. So, so the interesting thing is that they 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 said that you know how programs are designed to wait for the data. I was just thinking in practical terms how you code something different if you assume that suddenly, hey, I don't have to wait forever. I mean, I guess doing stuff like writing a temporary file out to the hard disk to just dump it there doesn't matter as much. Well, I'm I'm wondering if more it's more so on the core level of the operating system in the kernel. I was doing like swapping out you know, what's on hard disk with what's in the RAM, and that's more so where the improvements would come. Yeah, so, like, the idea of opening and saving a file would be very different. And, you know, instead of that, it's just, like, read memory address, like, whatever. And, like, it would actually live in, like, more of what you think of as RAM. You still abstract that out, though. So you, you can convert existing programs to still work, and that layer underneath we just know how to access it. Because if you're, you're probably still plugging it in in some way similar to the existing hard disk in some interface way. So, so you can still... And, like, even at that, you know, you can still, say, open a file or read a file or, yeah. you know, save a file or whatever. And it would just be implemented in, like, a flat memory subsystem. Yeah, so, so maybe... Yeah, so you could have, like, a, an abstraction over... I mean, I suppose I was, I was thinking when you were saying save a file... 
perhaps maybe one change might be is you could have an automatic writable file where you just like have these variables or something you're just basically writing to at runtime and you never have to save them because they're saving themselves because that is your memory, your yeah. persistent memory. So maybe something like that would be a different different implementation of how you might take advantage of this. Uh, look forward to this sometime in 2040. We do have some podcast feedback for this time. Uh, let's start out with Ryan. He's uh, really excited with uh, Chris being back. Uh, also, the opening was great. Um, so apparently Ryan took a little look at the, the Swift programming language, and he says that uh, he do I don't think that Swift looks much like JavaScript. It has optional types, but you can type variables, and there's a very different looping structure uh, sim similar to how Python does it. Uh, it only has two pools, enumerations, classes that are really, and also structs, and so many more powerful language features compared to JS. And he spent a half an hour or so reading a few pages, and with a link to the uh, Apple developer site. Uh, Ryan says, I can't imagine millions of lines of code. It hurts. <laughs> um, I've definitely worked on some very large code bases in my time. Uh, not sure of how big that they were. I'm not sure if there were a million lines. You, you just get used to searching really good, that's all. Yeah. Um, Ryan hates t.co from Twitter. DNS resolution always fails or something, and I can't ever get the redirect to work. It's terrible. I understand why they do it, though, so they can track things, uh, maybe offer analytics to businesses, and also to protect users from malicious links. Uh, I wanted my own link shortener on if up down, but I'm lazy and cheap. I don't really know where shortened links are used other than Twitter these days. Any thoughts? Hmm. I know Pretty much anywhere you want to like obfuscate, uh, like where your links are going. Yes, that and oh, I've used them before. I'm trying to think why I used them because I don't have. Twitter account that I post to as a common practice, but I've used a URL shortener. I think maybe, like, say if I had a big URL and I wanted, like if I was working on my Raspberry Pi, say, and for whatever reason I don't have a copy and paste feature easily, I might use a URL shortener. Um, you know, if I find a web link and I want to just go, I might use a shortener in a case like that. Hmm. And I think in college I, I did uh, PowerPoints once. They were on hosted by the Google presentation, and so it was a public PowerPoint, and I had to get it was for a speech class. You know, the public URL is this really cryptic hey, URL. Hey, uh, can you turn off your video because your audio just went to crap? Okay. See here. Okay, my video is off. Can you still hear me? Uh, pretty good. Okay, so speech class in college, and I used the Google Docs for the presenter, and I but then the URL was really long. Right. So I I used a shortener and did something like 
you know, the shortener. It was one of the ones that you could customize. It. So it was like something like Steven's presentation or whatnot. So then when I went in for a presentation, everyone else had flash drives and things that they were plugging in. I just went up to the teacher's computer and typed in my, my shortened URL for memory and pressed enter and it was there. Nice. That's probably the best use I've used of a shortener, I think. Ah, uh, so I don't think most URL shorteners you can customize like that. I'm not sure how many there are like that. And most of them don't let you short customize it, but a few of them do. So uh, Ryan says, do not disable paste on password fields. Thanks. I use LastPass. On accounts.google.com, no matter what I do, LastPass will never fill my personal account. It always uses some other account details. It's the worst. <laughs> uh, that bar design pattern is neat, but it also feels slimy. It's the same thing on phones. Apps are doing it too. Uh, the problem about spending slash games. I feel that, like the same problem happens with podcasts. There are too many and only so many listeners and sponsors. Uh, Ryan says that documentation is paramount. Uh, I was using Google Maps and the Foursquare API when I was in the class. The docs were good for maps, but Foursquare seemed a little weird when I was using it. Um, Ryan adds, the divorce part was amazing. And uh, meeting at Subway, that sounds so good. So uh, today I actually did not go to the Subway. I actually went down to Chipotle. Ah. Um, so yeah, it's every couple of months that Chipotle will send me some coupons, uh, just like in the mail. So uh -huh. like one of them will be for like free ch chips and guac with a purchase of like a burrito or something. It's and not then, too bad. And then uh, another coupon for like a buy one, get one free. Never so. thought about signing up to see if they had a, a rewards program. I have to do that because that. Uh, I don't have a rewards program, and I'm not sure if I've ever how, even given them the, my how address. They get, how they get your address then? Probably just spamming everyone. I think it might just be spam. Ah, I see. But it's like the best uh, paper spam ever. Yeah, that's not bad spam there. And they give you coupons. So I'm like, hey, sure, I'll go ahead and patronize your lovely business. <laughs> So uh, Ian uh, also sent some feedback in that uh, he was really entertained by the part when we said, <laughs> at least where I said, that Z's happen in the middle to the end of a word. And then I think it might have been Chris, it might have been you, but said, that's really bizarre. And it was that, Chris. Yeah, that was perfect. <laughs> no, knowing was... Chris, I'm not sure if he actually planned that out. But really? it, it worked amazing. <laughs> and uh, also, uh, Ian said, nice to hear from Chris again. Glad that he's doing well and not getting divorced. So I, I realized this when you're reading the, the comments from Ryan, and I listened on purpose when you're reading Ian's comments. You have a different voice for each of them when you read their comments. I do? You do. It's different than your, your I'm, I'm reading an article for the podcast voice. You have a I'm reading... I'm reading something that, that Ryan wrote, and you have a, I'm reading something that Ian wrote voice. Okay, so do I sound different for Ryan, and do I sound different for Ian? Are those two different voices, or are they the same voice, just interspersed? They are a different voice. It's a distinct voice for that person. Huh. <laughs> well, I guess everyone listening will have to go back and check that out. So, hey, if you would like to submit feedback, go ahead and do that on the Nexus.tv. In fact, if you're looking at the show notes, you can do that right on the side. And uh, as mentioned, International Backup Awareness Day 
So, and another little news article, uh, code spaces. Uh, I've never actually used them. Apparently they're like a uh, code hosting repository. Uh-huh. Uh, apparently they did not have a backup plan when their AWS got hacked, and now they're closing business. It's a scary thing that a technology company didn't know about backups. So, uh, apparently someone uh, did a DOS on them, and uh, apparently, I'm not sure if it's the same guy, but someone broke into their uh, Amazon web services. So, and apparently Amazon Web Services does support multi-factor authentication. So that's, you know, pretty important. They're saying that in the, I was reading more about the attack, it says while the DOS attack was going on, that someone through their Amazon control panel left them an email address for a Hotmail address. And then when they emailed them, they're trying to get money out of, out of uh, the company. So it's only when they just wait. Only when they, you know, changed the password on their account and, like, realized what was going on, the other guy had started deleting stuff. Yes. So, so, that, so that seems to be their issue is they, they assumed that the Amazon site was, was secure, was backed up, was safe. But the issue was, wasn't that hardware failed, but just that an attacker deleted stuff. So this is where the concept of off-site backups is really Exactly. Key of having something that an attacker or a thief can't get at and touch because it's off-site, it's disconnected from the network. So, And that's exactly what I'm doing with my external hard drives. So, you know, uh, it was especially amazing uh, back in college because, you know, I was out in Salt Lake City and, you know, my parents, you know, being back in Ohio, I left an external hard drive in Ohio. And, like, whenever I would go back home, I would update some of it. Ah, so, you know, I kind of figured that, uh, you know, if someday I wake up and all of my data is gone, uh, chances are I have, a, you know, really important things to think about uh, and everyone else, uh, like what's for dinner. <laughs> so, yeah, like something would happen to ha- would have to happen on like a continental wide scale. <laughs> yeah, to wipe up both Ohio and, and uh, what, Utah at the same time. Yes. Like, the apocalypse would have to happen or something. Something. So, yeah. Uh, good luck with that. Uh, hi, Mom. How are you doing? So, looks like I might actually be going over there uh, around July 4th. Ah. So, you taking just more than just the 4th off or just that? Um, I believe my company uh, has the 4th off as a holiday. Okay. So, and it's and it's uh, really... That was okay. a close one. Yeah, and I saw that flash too. Um, uh, so, like, the placement of the 4th is really nice because it's on a Friday. So, three-day weekend, yes, yay. It, it is a nice placement. I was just looking at my calendar at that. I actually took the week off, so I, I've got the I've got the days preceding that off as well. My family always goes to a camp up in Slippery Rock together, so that's what we're planning to do. So, uh, but then uh, uh, Christmas and New Year is coming up. Uh, falls on a Thursday. Uh, um, so, and I think my company also takes uh, the eve off as well. Uh, so I, I think you know, pretty much everyone might take the twenty sixth and the second off to have like a four or five day weekend. 
Okay, so you take the day off after Christmas and the eve off as well, so then that gives you a super long amount of time. Exactly. Yeah, that's nice. It's good to to have that. I, well, that I would I would have to do that as like a holiday or not a holiday vacation day or something. So yeah, and then I have a dentist appointment coming up, so not really worried about that. That's good. They're never fun when they go bad. <laughs> yep. So uh, let's see. I gotta write a blog post or something. Uh, pretty soon. Just uh, keep up with that. Um, yeah. Let's see. And then, yeah, clean up my apartment. And, uh, well, I think that might be all the fun stuff. Cleaning your apartment's fun? Well, sarcastic fun. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, anything you're going to be up to? Oh, well, I finished my, my homework for this week. So, that was, that was good. So, uh, uh, that Jasper project sounds pretty fun. That the Jasper project is is good. I I think I'm supposed to get my microphone at the end of the week, but I'm probably going to be, you know, away because I'll be going back up to visit my family again. So probably won't get to play with that till next week. But yeah, I, I am excited about Jasper. I want to put it in my car, like get an <laughs> adapter, so that I can have be talking to Jasper and and stuff. I think that'd be interesting. Don't know what all applications I can use Jasper for beyond a media player, but. Uh, I'll have to think of something. So, well, sounds like the storm is rolling in. So, it is. Well, that seems as good as time as any, so uh, have a good one. Okay, you too.